Amen. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Our text for today comes from John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that light was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace, already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Excellent. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I hope everybody had a good Christmas. Know that in amidst all of the, the food and the presents and the presents and the presents, which is what it felt like to my children, uh, that you had some opportunity to spend some significant time with uh, family and friends, and that also, hopefully, you had an opportunity to, to quiet your heart and reflect on the presence of Christ with you uh, this Christmas season. You know, historically, the Christmas season is longer than just Christmas Day. Uh, we're enter- this Sunday is the first Sunday after Christmas, and this is a season that the church has historically called Christmas Tide. Christmas Tides. Everybody ever heard of that phrase before, Christmas Tide? Not a soul. This is, this is good. This is really good. Anytime there's an opportunity for me to actually talk to somebody about something they don't know, I just I enjoy that. Um, <clears throat> this is called Christmas Tide, and Christmas Tide is all about uh, taking advantage or seeing the significance of what happened on Christmas Day. So on Christmas Eve, we all held up our candles and we said joy to the world, and we and we proclaimed this light that was now spreading into the world. And on Christmas Tide, uh, the church takes an opportunity to to really dig into that idea that there is now a light that is spreading into the world, and that light changes everything. This is what historically the church does on Christmas Tide. And uh, while we won't be observing that season in total, I did today want to take an opportunity and look at the, the, this passage of Scripture out of John 1, which is usually one of the first passages that the church looks at after Christmas to, to really dig into what is it that this light is all about. Actually, there's a question posed to us in today's service. What is the light? Right? It's a, it's a metaphor that we all use, and we can say that it's Jesus, or we can say that it's love, or I, I don't know. What is the light? And John 1 sheds some light 
on that issue, right? Right. So next week, we'll, we will begin our series on the Sermon on the Mount, which I'm really excited about. That's going to take us all the way through Easter time. So, uh, so the Sermon on the Mount, if anybody is not familiar with it, is really Jesus's grand sermon. It's, it's his definitive statement. It's his stake in the ground of what his kingdom is all about. Uh, uh, certain people have said that the, that the Sermon on the Mount is, Christi- is Christian Ethics 101. So if you want to know how you are to live in the world as a Christian, the Sermon on the Mount is uh, what we look at. It's what we study to know how we are, ought to orient ourselves in the world. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. And so uh, I'm really excited for that series. I've been studying uh, for almost four months now for that series. So um, I'm excited to get into it. I have numerous very large books that I, that I read just for that reason. So if none of you show up, that will mean I read books in vain, and I don't want to, and I don't want to have done that. All right, all right. So this morning we're kind of going to go straight through John one one through eighteen. So if you have your Bibles, you can grab those out. That'll be helpful for you. I th- I've, I envision today as a little bit of a Bible study, if you will. I, I really want to dig into the text and look specifically at it because on the face of it, this this passage of scripture is not very clear. It's, it's actually incredibly poetic. John just doesn't out with it, does he, and tell us what uh, Jesus is all about. He just doesn't tell us what this light that is coming into the world is all about. He actually forms this into a kind of poem. He, make, he makes a poem out of this story, and he slowly kind of throws breadcrumbs to us about what this word is and what this light is and what its significance in the world is. It's honestly one of the most beautiful poems in Scripture. Uh, It's one of the first things you learn when you go to school to study the Bible. This is one of the first things they make you look at, this passage right here, to understand what it is, that who who it was that Jesus was and what his significance was. So, uh, yeah, open up your Bibles to John 1, and we are just going to jump in this morning. John, like I said, does not just tell us exactly what's happening in this passage, but he slowly, in a, po- in a very poetic way, unfolds it. And, and beginning in verse, John, verse 1 of John 1, he says this, in the beginning, which if you remember, there's a, uh, John is intentionally mirroring the beginning of Genesis, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and with, uh, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and, the, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning was the Word. Our English word, word, uh, is actually is the is actually in translated here uh, for a a Greek word and this Greek word that you read here is probably the first Greek word you learn uh, in school and that word is logos. Can you say logos? Good, excellent. I have a very contentious relationship with this word, and the reason is that I in my junior year of college. I had just moved in. I was an RA. I was just, had just moved into my, uh, my dorm, and I shared a suite. There, you know, you had a, a, a room, a bathroom, and a room, and I shared a suite with the other RA for the other side of the hall. His name was Brian. I won't say his last name because this is public, 
uh, and will be put online. Uh, Brian was an overachiever, and so I got my room squared away and decided, you know what the best thing to do is after you unpack all your things and you're in college? Take a nap. So I proceeded to do just that, and out of Brian's room, I hear, I hear this, you know that sound when a speaker turns on, and I hear over his speaker this, this a computer-generated voice go, Logos. And Brian go, Logos. And then the computer-generated voice again go, Logos. And Brian said, Logos. And Brian, the, in the, with the loudest speaker system I have ever heard in my life, decided to do his Greek vocabulary while his sweetmate was sleeping, and I was completely incapable of taking a nap. Uh, when I actually got around to learning a little bit of Greek myself, I, uh, the first time you ca I came across Logos, it, sh it sent shudders down my spine. Because <laughs> it was pretty indicative of Brian and I's relationship as well. Anyways, uh, but this word, Logos, just means saying, statement, or message. That's all it means. So, the, so if you were to read this, uh, this first sentence, that first statement like this, you would say, in the beginning was the word, the saying, the statement, the message, and that word was God. Now, how can it be that a saying, a statement, a message, a, a logos could be God? How is that possible, right? How could a message about God be God. And the writer of John begins to give this logos personhood, doesn't it? It starts to refer to him as a he. Why, why is there a he associated with this word? What exactly is John doing here? Well, there's a lot of answers to that question, and some of it has to do with the, wis the personification of people in, wis in Hebrew wisdom literature. Some of it has to do with the fact that in um, that in the Greco-Roman world, the word logos came to take on some, some, uh, some more significance about, uh, about eternal logos, and there's some, there's some Greek philosophy mixed in in there. But ultimately, this word logos just means statement. It just means message. It just means word. And John is telling us that without this word of God, without this uh, incarnate being that he gives personhood, nothing in the world could have been made. Nothing in the world could have been made. Everything that was made was made through this word. Now, what's interesting is that when you think back to the beginning of Genesis, how does God create the word, the world? With a correct, with a word, right? Yet John seems to believe that this word has personhood, that it has being, that it has substance to it, which is interesting, isn't it? And a little confusing if we're being honest with ourselves. He says in verse 3, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. We hit on this theme of light, and if you were with us on Christmas Eve, I said, John is obsessed with this issue of light. Throughout the entirety of the book of John, he's uh, comparing and contrasting the darkness and the light. The two words in Greek are phos, light, photosynthesis, and skotia, or darkness. And the, the idea that he's always playing off of in, in, throughout the entirety of his gospel is this idea of the dark versus the light. 
and, and how the dark and the light interact. It's, it's, if you read John, read it like that and underline every time he says light. It's, it's amazing how, much, how often he weaves this, this uh, theme into his book. In verse 5, he says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So this light, this, this, so let's just break it down, right? It's a little confusing. There's a word that's a person, and then this person is a light, and this person is life, and this person has a job to do, right? And the job that this person, who is both word, light, and life, has to do is to what? Combat the darkness. Very clear stuff here, right? Very clear, very straightforward your Bible happens to be at times, right? But John is getting at something here, isn't he? And as, as he goes throughout, he builds a case for what exactly uh, this word is and why it's important that, that this word is involved in all of creation and why this word is so valuable to us. So, if you have your Bibles, look to verse 6 here, and we'll see what happens next. In verse 6, he says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, he kind of switches, um, he switches here. This John is not John of, the, of the, the author of this book. This is John the Baptist that, we'll, that you'll read about uh, in other passages. And it says, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So he came as a witness to that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only to witness to the light. So that's what he has to say about John. And then in verse 9, he says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through, uh, and through the world, uh, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Now, this is fascinating, right? The world did not recognize him. The world did not recognize the light. The world did not recognize the one through whom it was created, right? Fascinating. Fascinating that we live in, in, that we ourselves are so created that we cannot recognize that which was our creator, right? It, and this is, again, is a common theme in the book of John that you'll see over and over and over again, that, that John is communicating that there is a kind of hiddenness. There is a kind of hiddenness to the truth of Jesus, there's a kind of hiddenness that, that occurs throughout the entire book of John. And you, you can't always see it. You don't always know exactly what's taking place here. But, uh, but even under our noses, right? Even under our noses, we see the truth of what is, that we see in the Scriptures, the truth of what is actually happening here, which is that this light is coming, and it is changing everything, even if the people who are maybe even in closest proximity to that light don't see it, even if they don't see it. So, uh, uh, in picking up in verse 12, as it says, uh, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision um, or of a husband's will, but born of God. But born of God. Now, this, this word, this light, this life has something else to do. He's casting out the darkness, but he's also what? He's also, uh, in a sense, calling people to himself, 
that this light, this life, this incarnate word is now about the business of gathering people in towards himself in some, in some really unique and amazing way, right? And, if, and to those who are called in and are, have eyes to see and are able to come into this thing that the, that the incarnate word is, is bringing in, they have the ability or they have been given the gift of being called what? The children of God. The children of God. Now, John has still not told us who really this person is, has he? He has still not actually told us what other than some metaphors, what this person has come to do. But we know that everything hinges on this person. Everything hinges on this incarnate word of God. Everything hinges on this one who is the light of the world. Even our own lives, even our own lives hinge on the one who John is speaking about, right? The, the stakes here can't actually be any higher, John, John ratchets up the tension here by saying this, right? That, that, there is a, that there is a belief component that John says that is here in verse 12. Those who believe on his name, which is interesting because he hasn't actually given us his name at this point in uh, the poem, has he? He has given the right to be called children of God, which, if you're reading this, if you're reading this book, Become, being called the children of God is probably a pretty good thing, isn't it? And then he goes on in, in verse 14, and he says this. The Word, and this is when he gets right down to brass tacks, because he's been talking about the Word, he's been talking about this light, he's been talking about all these things, and then he goes to verse 14, and he gets right down to it. And he said, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, uh, if you were to read that in other translations, there's a lot of different ways this is translated because as with all poetry, there's a lot of kind of ways of reading it. Uh, some people have said, some of your translations might say that uh, the word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. Now, if you know what a tabernacle is, if you've read the Old Testament, a tabernacle was the, was the place of worship of God, and it was mobile. It was a tent, right? And they could, they could pick it up, and they could move it wherever they, wanted to, wherever they wanted to go. And the tabernacle became a kind of visible representation of the presence of God. So the tabernacle housed the presence of God for the people of Israel. That... that so this word came and kind of housed or represented or, or uh, stood for or was a picture of or maybe actually even was the presence of God that makes its dwelling among the people. Does this make sense? You might have other translations that just say um, the word became flesh and he pitched his tent among us. He pitched his tent among us. <laughs> Stop laughing. Uh, the, it make me say bad stuff. Uh, the, the reality is, is that uh, the, the presence of this eternal word now takes up residence with us, that it now is in some real and true sense present here with us. And heading in verse, and continuing in verse 14, it says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this is the one I spoke to you about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, 
grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. And here's the first opportunity that we hear the actual name. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself and is in closest relationship, or for who is in himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. John here, uh, beginning in chapter 14, really begins to unravel what it is he's trying to get at. That, that this incarnate word of God, this light of God, this life of God took up residence among us in the person, enfleshed in the person of Jesus, and that that Jesus is in some real and true sense the physical representation of the glory of God. That in, his full, that in Jesus we see the fullness of the person of God. And, and we see this specifically in verse 18. No one, where, it said, where we see that essentially no one has access to, to who God is except Jesus. And in verse 18, you'll read, the one who is uniquely God, who, who uh, and this is a different translation of that passage, the one who is uniquely God, who is in the Father's breast. Or you might have a translation like the NASB that says, uh, that who is in the Father's bosom. That that one has declared him, who is in the Father's chest. Now, there's a, there's a lot going on here, but what we know to be true is that Jesus is the one who reveals God to us, that Jesus is the one, who, the only one who is capable of showing us what God is like because Jesus is in the Father's chest, is essentially what John says. Now, this is a fascinating statement, isn't it? Because we all, I think, have claims on what God looks like, don't we? I talk about this a lot, that the image of God that we have in our heads determines a lot about what we think and feel, right? That, that we all have a kind of de facto image of God, and that that image of God determines the way we think and act in the world very often. The, the things you think about God happen to be some of the most important things you think, right? But the, the picture we have in the scriptures, particularly that John lays out, is that Jesus is the picture of God. And that nothing, God is nothing other than what Jesus represents to us. That's, a kind, of a, that's kind of a bold statement to, to make, that, G, that God is nothing other than what Jesus represents to us. And when God came to us, God did not just give us a list of bullet points, did he? His word, the word about himself, actually took up residence among us, actually took up flesh, actually came and tabernacled among us to tell us what God is like. The, God is like Jesus. God is not like anything that doesn't look like Jesus. There's too many double negatives in that statement, sentence for it to make sense, but that's okay. But that's okay. Jesus is what God looks like, and nothing that we read in Scripture that, look, that doesn't look like Jesus should be everything, sorry, Everything we, everything we read in Scripture should be seen through the lens of Jesus. Everything. All the time. Because Jesus is the visible manifestation of God's glory on the earth. Now, this is hard for us to get, I think, through our heads. And this is often hard for us to, um, to kind of put in context. Because in our heads, God is many people, isn't he? And God is Trinity, right? And so we understand God to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in our heads, I think God is even more separated than that. In our heads, there's, a, there's an Old Testament God, 
and he's mean in general, right? He does some good stuff, but most of the time he's mean. He, he's, like, he's like a 12-year-old that likes gross science experiments, like turning water to blood and stuff. Uh, it's, it's, it's not, in general, we don't, we don't always see that God as being one that is good, do we? If we're being frank. So there's that God, and then there's Jesus, right? And then maybe if you read further in the Old Testament, there's the Holy Spirit, and he's really hard to get our hands around, right? So we, we talk about him, but we talk about him in ways that don't always make sense. This is true. This is, in general, if we've been sitting in church for any period of time, this is kind of, or if we've sat with our Bibles for any period of time, this is how we think. But John seems to want to put a stake in the ground and make quite clear to us, that make quite clear to us that Jesus is the full representation of who God is. And that if you're troubled by anything in the scriptures, what we ought to do, by any picture of God that we might have in our heads, what we, what we ought to do is look to the person of Jesus and see the fullness of God represented there. Because you see, anything that doesn't look like Jesus isn't God. Anything that doesn't look like Jesus isn't God. And anything that is Jesus is God. This is a weird statement to make, right? Because a lot of people have claims on who God is and what God is like. There are numerous world religions, and there are all kinds of things happening in the world. But Jesus, Christians believe that Jesus is what God looks like. And the, and, and the center of our faith is found there. And what's interesting is that knowledge of God now becomes not about assent to, to bullet points or truths, right? Knowledge about what God is like now, because of Jesus, becomes about literal relationship with this God, right? So rather than having a list of beliefs that we happen to have about who God is and what he's like and um, what he had for breakfast, that's in like Deuteronomy 4, uh, now we have an opportunity, right? An opportunity not just to to know things about God, not just to uh, intellectually assent to truths about God, but rather to know God as God is in the person of Jesus and to have a relationship with that God, to be brought into close relationship with this creator of the universe through the person of Jesus. This is the opportunity we have. And so knowledge about God doesn't just become head knowledge. It becomes relational knowledge. It becomes heart knowledge, Right? It becomes something so much more significant than just, have you ever heard the word doctrine, right? Dogma, these words that we talk about, things you have to believe in order to, um, to, to be in the club, kind of, right? For uh, John seems to be blowing this paradigm up entirely. Because being a child of God, being one who, upon whom this light shines, has nothing to do with necessarily uh, what you believe. It does say believe in this passage, but what does it say believe in? Believe in and upon him. It also says to know him as some significant and important thing. Now, I'm not saying that to know Jesus is to not have any beliefs. This is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that for the Christian, the central a defining characteristic of our lives about knowing what God is like is not about having a list of things that we recite to ourselves about what God is like. The central defining characteristic of what it means to, uh, to know what God is like is to actually know God in the person of Jesus. 
This is what, for a Christian, is most important, most significant, right? And, uh, he makes, and John makes this quite clear at the end of the passage, beginning in verse 17, when he says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, right? He's, he's, uh, he's making a comparison here. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God but the, the one and only Son who is himself God and is, is, and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So the question that we started uh, today with was, what is this light that we were talking about on Christmas Eve? What is this light? Why did we all light candles? Why did we all hold them up and sing joy to the world? What is this light? Well, the light of the world clearly is Jesus. And how do we know this light? Well, we know this light by, being, by knowing Jesus, by being reconciled to him. And we carry this light by being carriers of that knowledge, by being, by being found, in the, as John describes us in the, in the scriptures, as, sons, as children of God, sons and daughters of God. It's a kind of big thing, isn't it? It feels weighty and significant. But yet it is what John is saying here. He's not making, he's, John is saying something quite big and quite significant, something that, that turned out to change the world and probably should have because if the one through whom the world was created came and uh, took on flesh and tabernacled among us, then something significant happened and it should alter the way we live our lives, shouldn't it? If we see it if we see it. And it should make us not just observers of a truth, but participants in a relationship with Jesus and carriers of that light out into the world. You see, part of the problem with uh, doctrine, like I was saying earlier, is that doctrine, I'm not totally uh, trying to say that all beliefs are bad or anything like that, but part of the problem with just um, shrinking Jesus down to a, a, a set of doctrines. Part of the problem with just, uh, with just condensing everything we know about Jesus down to a set of beliefs is that there's no life in it, actually. It just becomes kind of dead. It just becomes kind of whitewashed, kind of uh, boring. And as soon as you have Jesus in that box, right, that box of belief. This is, what, this is what God is like. This is what Jesus is like. This is what it's all like. As soon as you have him in that box of belief, then you can go about your day, right? You can just do whatever you want because you know the stuff. But if you have a relationship with a person, if you have a relationship with a person, it's not like that, is it? You know, I have... Uh, I have beliefs about what my wife is like. She occasionally uh, doesn't, all, her actions occasionally don't always line up with those beliefs, right? Occasionally, she, uh, she can throw me a curveball, right? Because this is what a relationship is. This is what a relationship looks like. It, it changes and transforms a ton of things about our lives, right? There's a dynamism. There, it's dynamic. There, it ebbs and flows. This is what God is like. And God came to communicate himself to us, not through, uh, not through bullet points, not through a list of dogma, but rather in the person of Jesus. 
And we all have the opportunity to have a relationship with that person. And that person, right, gets to communicate to us often, hopefully daily, about what God is like. This is what it is to be a Christian. The simple stuff, really. This is what it is to be a Christian. And this is the opportunity that's available to all of us. And so this next year, this next year, we're on December 31st today, aren't we? So this next year, as we go into 2018, which is unbelievable when you think about it, right? As we go into the year 2018, how are you going to carry the knowledge of Jesus? How are you going to symbolically carry that light out into your world? Well, the reality of the situation is you're going to carry that light out into your world by being acquainted with it, because that light is a person in the person of Jesus. And as we acquaint ourselves with, with Jesus himself, we are able to then be carriers of that light to other people. You cannot carry cold, dead things out into the world and have them be, um, have them have other people want them, right? John says it here that the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I don't want to be a carrier of a law. I want to be a carrier of grace and of truth. And I would love for our church to be a church, and we are in many ways, to be a community of people who, as we, as we go about our lives, aren't simply carriers of beliefs, aren't simply carriers of moral standards, but rather are carriers of grace and truth because we've rightly, we've rightly related ourselves to the one who is the ultimate communication of what God is like to Jesus. That, I think, is significant. And that, I think, is something that we all can do a little bit better, <laughs> right? Because if we're looking at our lives honestly, I think we all can relate ourselves to the person of Jesus a little bit better this year than we did the year before. That we can find in the person of Jesus uh, the, the direction and the, the light and energy of our own lives a little bit more, a little bit better, and we can lean into that reality, and we can be what the scriptures say we might be, the children of God. Let me pray for you. Father, we pray that today as we go on our way, as we, uh, as we go about uh, this Sunday day, God, would you help to remind us of the beauty that is in the person of Jesus? that we would see and know this light and this life that has come into the world in the person of Jesus. May we make Jesus the central reality of our lives. Can we let, help us to choose every day to stand in relationship to Jesus in, in powerful and profound ways that transform us and transform the people around us? Father, as we go into this next year, as individuals and as a community, as a church, we ask that you would help to transform our hearts and our minds, that you would help to make us your people, that you would make us your children, and that we would, uh, both in word and deed, communicate the goodness and the grace and the truth of this word, of this light, of the person of Jesus. We pray it all in your name. Amen and amen. Go today in the grace and in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ.